You're listening to the best of the Sergio Show on 710-KURV. Here's Sergio. All this COVID cash all over the place. What to do with it? Some municipalities, some county governments, some states. Writing checks with COVID money to pay for other stuff. Author of the critically acclaimed best-selling book, The Founder's Speech to a Nation in Crisis, Stephen Rabb. Back, uh, welcome back to the show, Steve. So what do you make of this glut of cash all over the place? We don't know what to do with, obviously we're not spending on COVID anymore. We're just going to spend, 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 because you know how it works in government. If you don't spend it, you lose it. That's, well, that's why they're having their retreat, Sergio, and they're, they're coming together and brainstorming and all the genius new ways that they can devise to spend this money. So it's a slush fund now in which they can... Uh, pay off uh, the politicians and and gain voters by uh, by funding whatever pet project that they see. I mean, what, what here's one for you: the city of Minneapolis spent three hundred thousand uh, dollars to address racial trauma um, and promote healing and positive activation in the black community. Uh, that's uh, I don't see where's where's COVID in that. It's it's so broadly defined that means you can spend on anything give that money to anyone. And that's the kinds of hundreds and thousands of projects that are happening across America that have no real positive impact for our country, but are a great way to buy votes. What do you think, Steve, if if we were to change the political and governmental expenditure model, you know, I made reference to it. If you don't spend it, you lose it. That's why all these departments and agencies local level, state level, they get a budget, they want to spend every single penny of it, buy cakes for everybody as, you know, as, a, as a thank you or a crank, congratulatory gift, something like that. They'll, spend, they'll try to spend every dollar because they don't want to lose the budget for the next go-around. But what if, do you think things would be better if we were to reverse this and incentivize cost-cutting and savings and maybe even you know, incentivize and reward administrators or folks that are on the front lines of dispensing this money, if they save money, they could get a portion, like I don't know, like a commission, something like that. Do you think things would be better if we worked that way, more like a business model? Well, it, it would be better, but that, that would almost require a constitutional amendment to do that because every legislative piece has its own requirements for spending and and. When the left passes legislation, they want as much leeway and flexibility around the money as possible because that's paying out unions and, and giving contracts here and uh, national endowment of humanities spending hundreds of millions of dollars in, in projects that have nothing to do with. And they to be able to do that, they've got to keep it as loose as possible. What you're describing is to prescribe a a very specific you must you must spend it on this only there's an incentive to spend it smartly efficiently effectively uh, you're describing inserting market principles into it the way that you run your household the ra- way that you run a business that's how of course government should work that would require a constitutional amendment uh, we need to we need to be talking about balancing the budget uh, and and we do not have endless flows of cash as a nation. Uh, yeah. We're seeing what happens when, when a country just starts infusing dollars from the government. Um, you you get runaway inflation. 
now all of our money is worth less and 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 that's they don't seem to care they they just follow one absurd bill with the next now a, a trillion dollar uh, giveaway to student loans for people who have four and six and eight year degrees as doctors and now they're getting their loans forgiven and yeah. the average human being who's just trying to figure it out and make it work in this country is paying for it so it's it's like they don't care um, what normal people like you and me actually have to deal with on a day to day basis and that's and that's why we have to vote and we have to stand up and we have to put constitutional amendments in place. And that's why I wrote the book, The Founder's Speech to a Nation in Crisis, because we have to remind ourselves of who the founding fathers were and what the founding fathers said about this country. Stephen Rabb is, yes, author of The Founder's Speech to a Nation in Crisis. A few days back, Steve, there was a poll that said four in ten Americans believe that there would be civil war in the next ten years. And when I hear the divisiveness being preached by Joe Biden these days on the campaign uh, stump this past weekend, going to key states and trying to save some of these Democrats from being booted from office come November, just dividing the country again. Uh, he's he's trying to divide the Republicans, saying the, the mega Republicans are the biggest threat to this country, and not all Republicans are mega. I, man, all 74 million people plus who voted for Donald Trump, they're all mega Republicans, including mm. yours truly here. And I, I don't hear anything uh, flattering in, in his language, and I find everything that he says insulting and, and disgusting. And, you know, I, Donald Trump is mm. a human being. I accept him for all his feelings. But I think make America great again, America first mindset is what we need to save this country. And I don't see Joe Biden trying to unify mm-hmm. the country at all. He's dividing us even more. Man, when I saw that poll last week, 4 in 10 Americans, including 5 in 10 Republicans, 4 in 10 Democrats and independents said the same thing. Man, I, I don't know about the future. What do you think about that poll? Well, I mean, I, I think that poll reflects the feeling. what we're all saying. Oh, goodness, he, he ran as a great uniter. He, he actually positioned Trump as being divisive and dividing the nation and said, I'm going to come in and heal the nation. And he's done just the opposite. Part of uh, what, where, where he's done the opposite is very far left policies. If you wanted to heal the nation, then that, that implies that you're going to put policies in place that are somewhere in the middle and try to bring both sides together around those policies. That was moderate Joe running. Well, he, he relied about a lot of things. He's not moderate. He ran as, he, He's governing the far left. He's not uniting. He's dividing us every opportunity he gets. He he goes after. He calls it. He said, "I only I only hate MAGA Republicans." But to your point, you know, he doesn't really define MAGA Republicans. I mean, basically, MAGA Republicans are anybody who disagree with him, right? If you yeah. if you disagree with Joe Biden, then you're a MAGA Republican. Um, and he, of course, he just tries to make January sixth uh, doomsday, and which represents all Republicans and so on, and they. They blow it way out of proportion. I think reasonable people look at it and say, yeah, there's some personality things about Trump that I don't, I don't really always like. But if you look at the policies of the Trump administration, what those policies were, they were good for America. All of us were better off under the Trump administration policies. You know, even if we rolled our eyes, even at some of the tweets, you might love all the tweets, you might say some of them were okay, some were bad. Yeah. But no, absolutely. Our, 
our, our future is not built on I tweets. Am. It is built on good policy that helps the American people. And, and that's not what we're getting now, and we're paying for it. Um, and hopefully, to your point, that poll is correct and that people say are tired of this and will stand up in November and, and begin turning it around. I hope so, brother. And, and I hope all these reports of their red wave is crashing and the Democrats, I hope this is nothing but propaganda and lies. I hope people concentrate on the prize because I, can, I can't even imagine what a civil war in this country would look like. Some federal edict that mm. they will not back down some democrat president some uh, some thug for example the the vaccine mandate where they're kicking out almost 10 percent of the military anybody coming in vax that stupid vaccine mandate is still in place they're capable democrats are capable of being stupid enough to say something where that's it where everything descends into chaos and man my, i don't like taking my mind there but even federal and state officers they'd have to they would have to, you know, take sides and say, "Well, am I going to fire my own citizens and force them to comply, or, you know, God, God forbid that day comes?" Because my goodness, we, we we see how well, and that's a, and that's what's right that that that's right that's the threat Joe Biden makes, right? He actually says, uh, you know, you, you can keep your gun if you want to, but it's not going to do very well against the F fifteen that I <laughs> I deploy against you. Um, yeah, and uh, and that's. That's pretty amazing, and that you have a president who's threatening uh, F-15 type of, and and if an order like that came, I hope that our military would not uh, start uh, dropping bombs on its own people. Um, so it's it's uh, it's pretty tragic that that's um, and they've created such a dark view of Republicans. I um, mean, this this is one of the things that they yeah. do, and it's really shameful. It's it it's is. the vilification, the demonization of your yeah, opponent. Yeah, that, that does not unite it. Where tyranny, tyranny always goes there. 10-4. Thank you, Steve. Good to talk again. Look for his book, The Founder's Speech to a Nation in Crisis, Stephen Rabb. This is The Sergio Show. Mike Murphy is mayor of Lexington, Minnesota. You said you're also running, what'd you say, for for Senate, Mike? Uh, I was running for governor. You were running for governor at one time. All right. Hey, so... From the and you're Republican in Minnesota, which is a minority. I don't know how you stand it up there. What is your opinion of all this extremist labeling by Joe Biden when it comes to all GOP ideas? So much for unifying the country, Mike. Yeah, I, I think it's crazy. Uh, the Democrats are really good at blaming us for things that they're doing, but we have to remember that. They're the ones that closed our schools, closed our churches, they killed our economy, they masked our children, defunded the police, giving away our money to countries that hate our guts, uh, weaponized our federal agencies, they banned a sitting president from social media, impeached him two times, jailed his supporters, burned our cities for nearly two years, made up faked investigations, raided his home, and now they call us the fascists, right? Okay, well, um, it's pretty scary times that we're living in here. You got your, all your thoughts straight on that one, but every single point you told me, Mike, does it play in Peoria? Does it play in Lexington? Does it play in, in Minnesota where regular people working for a living? Because you have time to think about this. Other folks, they get spoon-fed information on a, on a daily basis. Well, definitely the mainstream media hasn't been our friends, but here in the state of Minnesota, we have Tim Walls as our governor who's up for re-election against the Republican, Dr. Scott Jensen, 
and uh, we're feeling the shift here in the state to the Republican side and even in the inner cities because Tim Walls is the one that let that precinct go in Minneapolis and burn to the ground, which created that nice 2020 summer of love that the Democrats called it. Uh. And um, people are getting sick and tired of the lawlessness. They're getting tired of the high taxes and these mandates that are coming down with electric vehicles. Um, it, it's really starting to hit people's pocketbooks with the inflation. Um, and of course, a recession that I believe has been here for some time, but they'll never say that it is. Um, when, when you focus on the issues that affect everyday Americans, though, that's what's going to bring people out to the voting booth and, and choose which party they're going to go for. Yeah. But at the same time, Republicans are getting more Republicans, Democrats are getting more Democrat, and we're alienating the middle, which is our independence, where elections are won and lost. So we have to figure out a way on the Republican side how we're going to message to the independents and the moderates to make them come to our side so we can swing the election to common sense that's this right. year. We're tossing politics around a bit from... From Minnesota, Mike Murphy is, is mayor of Lexington. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, some people are getting sick and tired of all the lawlessness and all the violence. And you know, going back to that, as you said, the summer of love uh, two summers ago, all that crap that was ignored by Democrat leadership, Democrat candidates, and and, and not emphasized by the media. And these people, they, they never held their feet to the fire when it came to all this lawlessness, all the chaos, all the arson taking place. But do you have enough people in Minnesota to turn things around? Because you got you guys got a, a steep hill to climb. You need to change your state legislature. They will eventually, some years down the line, help you with redistricting and help you avoid you know, drawing up places that would elect people like Elon Omar and send them to Washington, that, that embarrassment. Do you think you got it in you in Minnesota to change thing, uh, change, uh, turn things around long-term, Mike? I do. Long-term. Yeah. I do. I really do. I think we can do this long term. Um, we're the only divided legislature in the entire country. Our Senate is Republican. Uh, we're only five seats away from the House being Republican. And of course, we got to take back the executive branch of government, the attorney general, secretary of state and our governor's office, which things are looking pretty good here. But if you go back to the primaries this year, Ilan Omar almost lost her primary. Uh, she almost lost her seat here in the state of Minnesota, which tells you something that uh, there is a paradigm shift going on in her district. Those people are sick and tired of her not being there for them, um, that she's not standing up for the lawlessness that's taking place in her district because that's the number one crime-ridden area in our state. Um, so we're hoping that those votes go Republican because obviously they're trying to vote her out of office, so hopefully they switch. And that would that would send a big wave and a big message across America, yeah. especially getting rid of one of the leading squad members uh, in Congress. And well, those are things that we have to do. It's not going to. It's not going to happen overnight. Uh, it's going to take multiple elections and to to fix this mess that's been created in our country. Uh, this I don't know where that district for Elon Omar is compared to where you are in the state of Minnesota, Mike. But uh, being a Republican, being a top politician in the state, uh, do you know if there is any effort whatsoever to help? I would hope a Republican who's running against her come November, because voters in her district, they still have a choice. They almost got rid of her in the primary, but these Democrats could easily cross over and vote her out, uh, plus all the independents, plus the Republicans, vote her out of that congressional seat come November. It's still not It's not too late, but how much support is there for a Republican? And is there a good Republican running against her come November? Do you know? Yes, uh, yes. Cicely Davis is running against her for Congress. Uh she uh, she's a great candidate. She's well spoken, well educated. 
Um, she's not afraid to get her hands dirty and get out in the community. And you know what I was asking, Mike? Is she in. well funded? That's the whole thing. That her message needs oh, to yes. get across. She's yeah, yeah. Very well funded. Uh, she's outraised Ilan Omar already, and she continues to do so. And as far as my geographical location from Ilan Omar's district, I'm one mile away from Congressional oh. District Five. <laughs> um, so I'm only less than 15 minutes from Minneapolis. Well, is where I'm living, right, as the mayor of Lexington. But, yes, yeah, C.C. Davis is very well-funded in CD5. Um, she's raising money. She's got ads out. She's got billboards, lawn signs going everywhere in Minneapolis. And uh, it's, it's, it's looking pretty good. I hope good so. Her. I hope so, brother, because the land that gave birth to the defund the police movement, man, we, we've got a lot of work to do to re- redeem our communities in, in Minnesota. And, and take um, the, and if they vote her back in, Elon Omar, well, they deserve the government that they have. Going to get their heads beaten for the next couple of years before they have another chance in the primary. Uh, Mike, um, tell me about uh, you're not are you are you running this election cycle or or are you waiting for another one um, coming up? Uh, yeah, I'm I'm up for re-election as mayor. I just recently got done for a run for governor. Um, we're, we're a nominating state, but we also have a primary. So I bowed out after the nomination. I didn't go to the primary because I didn't want us to have a big money battle because I want our money to go against the Democrats. But, uh, I am eyeing up a, a, a race here, uh, come next year for the 2024 election. Be safe, Mike. Pleasure speaking with you again from Lexington, Minnesota is the mayor, Mike Murphy. This is the Sergio show. You're always on the go. Obviously pretty busy. Busy with work. Picking up my kids from school. From work to kids to running errands. Your entire day is a hands-on, never-ending frenzy of activity. Luckily, getting the news is now voice activated. Just say, Alexa, play 710-KURB. I'd like to know what's going on in my world. I gotta know what's going on in my city. Putting the smart in your smart speaker. I'm getting my news from you and my information. For the latest news and to find out what's happening in rich, clear audio. Just say, Alexa, play 710 KURB. You're listening to the best of the Sergio Show. Here's Sergio. Let's talk about rude cities in this country. So last week we were talking about the rudest cities in the country. There was a new survey that came out, top 10. You know what I failed to mention? I failed to see it, though. I, I did not see Houston was number 10. Rudest city in the country. Okay. The most polite cities were also tabulated in the pre-ply survey from last week. Austin was number one. Really? Austin? You ever speak to any of the panhandlers around Austin trying to avoid them near 6th Street? (laughs) I guess they didn't take that into consideration. Fort Worth was number three in in Texas. Not bad. And Houston was number 10, rudest. Austin, Fort Worth, one and three, most polite. Valerie Sikolowski joining me right now. So what do you make of, of this of this report, Val? And what metrics, what information did Preply use in order to tabulate the rudest cities of the country? Of, of and on that list, Philadelphia was number one, the city of brotherly love. So what did what did they tabulate? What information did they use to come to this result? I know. You know what? I think I think we should call and talk to them. But here's the good news. Texas came out pretty good. Yeah, that's not bad. I find it surprising, but, though. Austin was number one. I, I would think smaller communities would have done better, and maybe even Dallas. I know. But either way, uh, one and three. Well, they, yeah. 
so Sergio, they tabulated, according to my knowledge, they tabulated people in the city. Now, you know, who were those people? But it was interesting, and I thought it was an interesting topic. So let's talk about it. Rudeness. What are they? What's the behaviors? Yuck. <laughs> cool sites, great food, um, I guess customer service. Um, I'd like to see what leads to because I could tell you there's some around here, for example, I like to make a comparison between in McAllen, for example, just a simple visit to a Walmart and an H-E-B, right? An H-E-B. Okay. Um, yep. And it's just, wow, the, the chasm, the, the difference between these two uh, as far as customer service is is deep and wide. H-E-B, super nice people, uh, always always smiling. Making sure they play air traffic control and keep the you know keep the cash registers open, even the you know, self pay, keep everything open, and they play air traffic control, making sure that you go to the shortest line. At Walmart, they don't give a flip. It's like they're like doing you a favor. It's like really really bad attitude sometimes. It, I guess it's it's all relative to to the business culture. But anyway, I just want to get your thoughts on on the difference in customer service. You know, that's funny because yesterday I was in a store where the salesperson had two jobs and the one that she was at was not HEV, but she worked at Central Market. And she was telling me, back to your point, it's the culture, it's the environment. It starts at the top. Let's face it, it starts at the people, just the branch managers, just the store manager sets a tone. And she said, it's all the difference in the world. Even, even when everyone is still short, uh, you know, there's a shortage of people working. But the people who are working want to work, and they want to work at a place that's a nice place to work. So if you've got somebody at, you said, a Walmart or wherever, and it's not a nice place to work, guess what? It's going to show up in the people that serve you and me. What does it say that, for example, in Philly, which is number one, Memphis, surprisingly, was number two. New York, mm-hmm. and I say surprising New York was number three because I thought New York would be number one on this list. What does it say about the culture in their city that, for example, on these 1,500 people in each city where they were, where they were surveyed, uh, 1,500 yeah. people rated Philly, Memphis, and New York the rudest in the nation. What does that say about the culture within the city? Well, I'll tell you something. <laughs> Visiting and traveling to those cities on business, hmm. part of it, I think, is like self-preservation. Let me just talk about New York for a minute. When I go to New York, I do not give eye contact. I walk down the street, <laughs> and I am headed somewhere because of the reasons we're talking about. <laughs> um, this is an awful story, Sergio, but it's a true story. A young man was stabbed right in daylight on the street next to a young man that's a friend of a family member. And all he did was smile at this person. Oh, and they stabbed him. Yeah. So let's just talk about self-preservation. That could be part of it that is thought of as, well, that's rude. Nobody looks at me. So you've got to consider that, too, unfortunately. Now, those are crazy. We know that. But we don't know who's crazy out there these days, do we? Yeah. But Memphis at number two. I mean, that's home to St. Jude Children's Cancer Clinic. All these wonderful people living in Memphis. Of course, the music culture there. That's a touristy destination. Another touristy destination. Memphis was was second as far as rudest city. 
Mm-hmm. Vegas was number four. <laughs> they need to be all smiles and sunshine because they got touristy dollars coming to those towns. What's going on? <laughs> I'm going to go back to who these people are that the, that the surveyor surveyed. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, you know, they didn't ask me, did they ask you? Uh, no, no. <laughs> take, it as, take it as a grain of salt. Yeah, that's, that's true. Yeah, maybe I was thinking maybe they didn't have enough, uh, you know, um, enough lobster in, in the buffet at Vegas. Somebody got, some Karen got mad and maybe participated in this thing. Uh, cities northeast, down, yeah. Go ahead, uh, go ahead, Val. I, yeah. I was just going to tell you one thing, and it's kind of funny, but it's not. I've been doing for 25 years a program across the country in companies called Professionalism and Image of Excellence. And Sergio, as long as rudeness is rampant, my business is good. So there's always going to be, you know, there's always going to be companies and cultures and organizations that want people to show up and be a professional and give good service. And isn't that a good thing? Yeah, yeah. Company culture expert Valerie Zakalowski. And not surprisingly, four in ten of the cities up northeast, where it should be. Philly, yep. New York, Boston, and Washington, the nation's capital, also. Uh, rooted series. And again, most polite cities. Somehow, Austin made number one. I don't know how. Uh, and uh, <laughs> Fort Worth was at, at number three. No mention of Dallas. I don't know which one they were in. Houston, again, tenth most rooted cities in the country. Thank you, Val. You be safe out in the road and be careful out there. Valerie Sokolowski. This is The Sergio Show. day with news and interviews important to you with the Valley's Morning News. Weekday morning starting at 6. Sergio Sanchez and Tim Sullivan bring you the latest headlines and hourly discussions with AccuWeather to get you ready for your day and special guest interviews on topics that affect you and your family. Good morning. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning, guys. Well, let's now enjoy the show. It's what you need to start your day. The Valley's Morning News with Sergio Sanchez and Tim Sullivan. Weekday morning starting at 6 on News Talk 710 KURV. You're listening to the best of the Sergio Show. Here's Sergio. This is the Sergio Show, News Talk 710K URV. We've got another school year up and running again, and we're going to be conducting, Lord willing, weekly conversations with our friends over at Edinburgh Schools. And we're sending a hug and a kiss to all the crew out there, Dr. Mario Salinas, anything for Salinas, everybody else. And today, uh, since we're doing the, uh, we're kicking off another school year. I know security is on the mind of many parents, and we got our ECISD police chief Ricardo Perez joining us. How you doing, chief? Good to talk to you. Good morning, Sergio. I'm doing well. How are you? Good, sir. We're blessed. We're here, still here, still kicking and screaming. So, safety, security at schools, I know, is top of mind for all parents all across the nation. So, what can you tell me about the number of officers that you have been able to place at elementary schools, middle schools, high schools, chief? Currently, Sergio, we have approximately about 82 police officers. One, we have one uh, police officer at every high school. We have uh, two police officers at every middle school, along with uh, security officers. We have four police officers, including four security officers at, at every high school campus. Okay. 
it's an all-day thing for them, right? They start early in the morning, checking traffic, bringing traffic in. That's, that's one of the biggest things, right, is traffic control. Uh, hopefully that's the most excitement that they get in a single day is what traffic control, dropping off and picking up, right? Right. So, you know, first of all, you know, first, first and foremost, we have a, a large amount of people that are being dropped off, students that are being yeah. dropped off by parents. So it increases the, the traffic flow not only throughout the, the, the powder perimeter of the campus, but also um, – coming into campus and, and Susan being dropped off. So they're pretty pretty much um, involved with traffic control and uh, along with the city police and and uh, our constable's office. Guys at your office were telling me that for Edinburgh schools, it's been uh, a passion, a priority to secure the schools ever since Sandy Hook. It has been 10 years now since we saw that. And it includes technology, I understand. My guest right now and what uh, Lord willing will be weekly conversations again here on the program with Edinburgh Consolidated Independent School District. Uh, my conversation today is with our police chief. Again, Edinburgh has its own police force. Ricardo Pettis is the police chief. So tell me about some of the technology that we have on campuses, from cameras, fencing, all that stuff that we have to protect the kids. So, you know, we've been working on our on our camera system uh, for the last 10 years, and we've been building on that technology uh, ever since Sandy Hook. Now, the department was started in 1995. I started the department in 1995 the first police department in, in Hidalgo County uh, for a school district. Uh, we've been building on it since then, but so right after Sandy Hook is when we we, we took security to, to a, a higher level. Uh, more visibility, high visibility from, from our police officers. Um, the school board, uh, and along with the superintendent, created an initiative uh, to make sure that our students were safe. So they hired police officers for all elementaries, uh, all 31 elementaries, and increasing our police and security staff. We've also increased our technology by having uh, more cameras put in uh, throughout the, the campus and elementaries and additional fencing, um, um, higher fencing, uh, and it's a little bit more, not not your custom chain link fence, but but more of a, a customized looking fence so it doesn't look so so bad. Um, you know, it gives a, a good presentation uh, for the building. Mm-hmm. We also increased uh, our technology on the Raptor system where we get to check in who comes in on, into our campus, uh, make sure that they're not persons of concern or, or have uh, um, um, issues with the state for on a criminal background check. Chief Ricardo Perez, Edinburgh CISD. He's the chief of all police. Let me get off script a little bit, Chief, and just, you know, it's it's, it's talk show here. I just got it, because you're in, you're in the front lines of, of law enforcement, okay? Yes. I, would you say that Edinburgh is in the lead when it comes to security as far as school district campuses here in, in the entire valley? I don't think I've talked to anybody that has more security than Edinburgh. No, and I, and I can I can justify by telling you that is that because we've been working on it since 1995, mm-hmm. and uh, we're probably the only school district in South Texas that has a 20-member SWAT team, okay? Now, we started the SWAT team as a result of Sandy Hook because we wanted to be prepared for any intruder. Now, our SWAT team members are our former military uh, people, uh, former officers who were on SWAT teams in different agencies that they work for. So our officers are advanced SWAT, uh, highly trained to engage any active shooter. I believe that the fastest response to, God forbid, we see another shooting incident on campus and we have Unfortunately, we have a lot of copycat idiots out there that they want some glory and recognition in the news. They, they choose the soft targets at campus. I think the fastest response 
is to have somebody on campus with a gun responding to an attacker with a gun. And you've got it since you've got the cops on campus at the elementary, middle, and high schools every single day ready to fire back if they're firing on our kids. But I've noticed, Chief, other school districts, this is not Edinburgh, and in particular the one that I'm sending my kids to, Fencing, great. It's cosmetic. Doesn't take much to climb a fence. Front door, it's glass. It's locked, but it's glass. Climb, front door, pop, pop, break the glass. Go through the foyer, pop, pop, you break the glass. And in a lot of schools, I'd say the majority of schools in the valley, there's not a cop there to meet that, that gunman at the foyer entrance once he pops all that glass. And I hope that school districts visit, visit that threat that vulnerability, because they might need somebody. <laughs> they might need somebody at the front desk with a gun, somebody who volunteers for it. Because if they're not going to, they're not getting a police department like you, then I, I think schools they need to be hard and something for local leadership to continue talking about. Because there's, I was telling my producer chief, and I, I, I can tell you're receding hairline. You're old enough to understand what I'm going to tell you. You recall <laughs> a time when we used to say someone went postal. Remember that. Yes. It used to be post office. Remember, Chief? It used to be post offices. And then some punk decides to be copycat and go postal. And we would say that for a long time, go postal, go. And then Columbine, boom. Columbine happened, and then a rash of all these attacks at schools. So the threat is, is there. It's real. And I hope that local school leadership at all levels, they they consider hardening up our, um, our campuses. Right. So I also want to mention that as a result of, of Uvalde, you know, the governor has, has set an, an initiative in place that he wants all our schools to be fortified. So he wants to make sure that, that through the Texas State University, the, 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 the school-based law enforcement training, um, they're going to send the auditors out to check all our campuses. Yeah. And we figure that Edinburgh is probably going to be one of the first ones because we are the biggest school district in Hidalgo County. Mm. You know, so we have been preparing for 10 years, for 10 years, this is nothing new to us. We've been building on a security of, of fortification for about 10 years and beginning in 95, but especially after Sandy Hook, you know, when the, the school board increased uh, officers at all our schools, certified police officers, and we only hire the best at you. We, I'm very particular in who we have uh, protecting our children. Uh, so we have body, body, the best police officers working for the school Good district. Good to hear, Highly trained and highly certified. Now, there's going to be an audit coming down. Uh, the superintendent, uh, Dr. Mario Salinas, has, has, has ensured and given a directive that all our doors are to be locked. And we're making sure that, that we have uh, the, the components in place uh, to make sure that all our, our campuses are, are highly secured. And, you know, you have the campus secured, but then you also have an armed police officer if anybody were to penetrate, see, that's what I'm saying. Defenses, right there, first response. You're prepared. Yeah. Now, now let me tell you something else. We applied for a grant to the governor's office, three hundred and sixty-five thousand dollars for ballistic shields. I've applied for fifty ballistic shields to go at every campus, so that our officers have that that additional protection along with their bullet. Excellent, vans, excellent. To, to engage an active shooter, yeah. and they're under our directive. We're not going to wait for anybody. We're not going to be. We're not going to wait for a SWAT team. We're not going to be waiting to give in permission to engage. We'll see. The directive is to engage. Yes, sir. Uh, can you describe that ballistic shield, Chief? I'm thinking it's something that's really tall, right, and provides protection from gunfire. Uh, can you? Do, how big is uh, these? Are these shields? The ballistic shield is probably about about four feet in in, in height. And okay. It's, 
it's it's a a cylinder type uh heavy metal or is it by the way it's about 23 pounds does the individual carry it like a shield like with yeah, arm it, going it, forward yeah okay yeah what there's there's a sling inside where it, okay. it, it, it rests on the forearm where the right hand can hold the the weapon to engage oh, yeah. now there there's a there's a little glass a bulletproof glass where the officer can see where he's engaging the the, the suspect right uh and it's it's uh it's it's a result of training that we've been doing all summer our officers have been trained on what they call the alert training they're trained to engage and we've trained with other agencies so that if we get backup from the, let's say the city of edinburgh the, the dps or the sheriff's office they're already learned they're already trained to stack up together and, and engage because they've been through the training that is required by the governor's mandate uh put on by by the alert training yeah so all our law partners have already been trained this summer and we are prepared as prepared as can be in case we have that an active shooter or the, or a threat to our schools all right sounds great chief well what else do you want parents to know about edinburgh cisd and the police force protection for our kids on a day-to-day basis and maybe i want our community to know that you know that that we're in uh that we're going to engage uh through our training that, that we've done everything in our power to keep our students safe ever when we started in 1995 and we we've uh taken it a stop a step further in uh right after sandy hook in 2012 when i was hired here and we've been building on that security force and security training to make sure that our students is, are as safe ours are as safe as can be our buildings are fortified you know we have fencing we have uh, uh cameras we have uh the raptor system we have safe and secure entrances where you have to be buzzed in and at the end if you're going to come and cause trouble here, you're going to engage an armed police officer. Bottom line. Our police chief for Edinburgh schools, Ricardo Perez, my guest. I'm, I'm not being facetious, chief. I just, my mind just works. I got a couple of kids in, in school, so I, I think about stuff like this. <clears throat> you know how some folks are saying, no, I don't want, you know, carry guns. I, I, don't, I don't want, to, no one wants to force teachers to carry guns. Okay. In Edinburgh, we have our own police force. But uh, has anybody ever just in, you know, shooting spitballs and just talking, has anybody ever thought about maybe giving some taser guns to the front office, the administration, or maybe some coaches where you have something like that, zap it, knock it to the ground, something like that, where if you get a chance to take a shot, take the shot for a taser gun. We've had that discussion, okay, yeah. because I, I, we, I, hate, I get a lot of phone calls. <laughs> and, and some of the teachers say, look, I'm here to teach. I'm not, I'm not trained to do that. Yeah. And and I would I wouldn't know if I would be able to even do that if I needed to, but you know I, they're glad that we're there. Uh, and some of our officers have been here for years, and and they've already uh, uh, shown their capabilities when yeah. they've engaged uh, uh, irate parents or potential intruders. You know they've already vetted themselves. Yeah, no, I, I I got you. I'm just thinking, hey, it's a it's a defibrillator with stingers. Yeah, that's what it is. <laughs> throw, throw them to the ground. So there, there might be people volunteering to carry some of those in case there's a threat they need to knock down. Anyway, so that's for another day. Chief, thank you uh, for your time. Are you hiring? Uh, you, you told me you had like 82 strong on your force. You still hiring? You still uh, trying to fatten up your staff? We, we, we're, we're looking at to hire the best. Thank you. All right, so you're, we got open position. We're still looking for the best. I'm with you. Thank you, Chief. Yes, sir. Thank Lord you. bless you. you protect day. you all the gang over at uh, PD over at uh, ECISD. This is The Sergio Show.
Talk 710 KURV. When news breaks, we break in. Break in. Breaking news. Stay alert and listen to the weather forecast. We need to be aware and alert to what's going on. Breaking news means it's happening now. And we mean now. Breaking news underway right now. Breaking news. On News Talk 710 KURV means we're bringing you the news as it happens. We have a In this particular instance, we are in receipt of information. When news breaks, we'll break in. Count on News Talk 710 KURV. KURV.com. You're listening to the best of the Sergio Show. Here's Sergio. Financial giant Fidelity rolled out some numbers recently on activity by investors of late. Not too bad, they say. The mutual fund giant found that the average 401k balance it did fall to 103. Thousand bucks, almost 104,000 bucks, second quarter, 20% drop from the same period. But check this out as far as savings. The uh, Fidelity survey found that individual retirement accounts, the savings climbed by double digits since the second quarter of 2021, with striking numbers when it comes to younger folks, younger females, a year over year increase of 92% for Gen Z uh, women, 24%. Increase for millennials or socking money away, investing money. Total savings rate also remained high nationwide. Now, usually, but Fidelity says um, sock away about 15% of what you're bringing in. So the national average right now is closer to 14%, 13.9%. Leslie Boyden is co author of Retirement Conquered, financial expert. Leslie, appreciate your time. So, what do you make of these numbers? People are saving despite the, you know, recessionary effects on the economy, inflation as well. People are still saving good news for the future, I suspect. Do they need to do they need to save more because of inflation though? You know, they do. And you know, it's surprising that it's fifteen because what I see is really you need to be saving thirty percent of your gross, which income, which is really very difficult for people to do today because of the cost of living, because of inflation. The good news is it's nice to see that between the Gen Z and the millennials that they're now starting to, uh, I hate to use the phrase, but I am, uh, wake up and, and realize that they need to save more um, and they need to start doing it earlier instead of later because I say my generation, a lot of people have, you know, are, are thinking about it once they're, you know, 57, 55, or even 51, thinking, hey, I need to start doing something now. And they're sort of getting in that game at a little later time when they should be starting earlier in their lives. Why do you say 30% of gross would... That's a big chunk of money, pal. That's, that's like half your paycheck for, for many people. Why, why do you say that number? Uh, because that's what I've been seeing. And, you know, it used to be because in order to have enough income to last you for 20, 30 years, you need to be saving that. You need to have at least, if you're looking to, because usually most advisors will say you need to have this huge nest egg. And that huge nest egg, it's hard for people to have or save money in a 401k of 1.8 to 2 million. So how do you do that? 15%, 12%, 3% is just not going to work over, you know, a span of mm-hmm. trying to grow your money. 
Yeah, and that's a, twenty. And you mentioned twenty, thirty years, which I would guess would be the the standard um, period, the the standard timeline for retirement. Doing nothing, working, um, not doing any type of work, just living off of what you you know put away. But I'm of the mindset. I mean, I I would prefer to get up every morning and go do something. If it's not this gig, you know, go greet people at a Walmart. I don't know. Go stock stuff at a Target or at HEB at a grocery store around here. I, I want to keep back. I want to keep moving. I, I would like to keep making money even in retirement, even with with a part part time employment. Do you see that mindset coming back to the workforce? Because man, we got a lot of job openings out there. There is a lot of job openings, and people who want to do that are people who still want to work. But your money, even in retirement, still needs to be working for you. So you need to figure out, and we help people do this, figure out um, how to utilize compounding interest. So even though you retire and you have that nest egg, that nest egg still needs to be working with you. Because when you're working in your working years, and you're adding money into a 401k, it's still working for you. But once you stop working, you're not having that, that, mu- that stream of income going in anymore. So you have to take what you have and be able to continuously grow that money. Leslie Boyden, co-founder of LE Financial, co-author of Retirement Concord. I'm going to take you behind the curtain now, Leslie, to the conspiratorial places in my mind. So you set all this aside in IRAs, 401ks, you got these mutual funds, all these things that you sock away for many years. You're working really, really hard. Mm-hmm. Some people out there think, well, why? Why even bother? If in the end, this lack of discipline in Washington and these politicians trying to buy votes, paying off debt left and right to their buddies and voters, especially on the on the national debt side and the deficits. and mm-hmm. Someday the government, yeah, they'll have a digital currency. They'll be able to control your money, your bank accounts, and your 401Ks, poof, they'll own it. Your IRAs, they'll seize it. You know, for the greater good of society, what would you say to people that express that concern? You're, you're right in that respect. So the hardest thing, and if you think about it, inflation is at 40-year 40 uh, 40 high, and that's one issue that we have. It shouldn't be that way, but the more you make money, the higher the inflation is going to go. Taxes are going to be an issue, a huge issue, that's going to uh, eat away at your retirement. So between those two things, I call it HIT, H-I-T, you got health care, inflation, and taxes. It's hard to predict predict all three of those. And so that's why you have to continue having your money work for you. Whether you have to look for alternative opportunities, which they are out there, uh, people just need to contact me. I'll be more than glad to share what some of those opportunities are. But you have to look at short-term uh, type of uh, investments, and you have to have long-term in there that is still going to generate that income. So you really, at the end of the day, need to have multiple streams of income, not just two. You have to really have more than that. Yeah. Leslie, where do folks find you online? Real quick, website, something like that. My website is is L and E. It's lefinancialservices.net. All right. Um, and of course, our book is Retirement Conquered. Thank you, Leslie. Be safe, Leslie Boyden from L E Financial. This is the Sergio Show.